Ladies and gentlemen, stand cheer for the Bulldog Fans Podcast. Here's your hosts, Matt and Scott, on their way down the tunnel at ANZ Stadium, on their way to the microphone. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up. Go up as one for Matt and Scott, the NRL Bulldogs Podcast. Hey, Bulldogs fans, it's Matt here. Uh, we've got a special episode dropping today, a bit of a bonus episode to uh, wipe away the tears of last night's poor performance against the Raiders and the loss. James Oddy from England joins the show to talk about his book, True Professional, The Clive Sutherland Story. It is a pretty good listen, if I do say so myself. Now, we recorded this episode just before the start of the season, before uh, I got struck down with COVID and before a lot of busy weeks for the host. So we do have to apologize to James for the delay in this episode coming out. But we started off by simply asking him, how are you? Yeah, I'm not bad, thank you. Like I said, thank you so much for having me on. It's been, I've been listening for a while, so to be a guest is a, is a, is a nice treat. It's a treat for us too, mate, our first overseas guest. So I think, I think a podcast really makes it once it gets an overseas guest, right? <laughs> yeah, well, maybe I've made it when I get into an overseas podcast, so... <laughs> I, I want to state before we actually ask any questions James is wearing a retro Canterbury Bankstown Bulldogs jersey which looks amazing I'm in a Bulldog shirt Matt's uh, slumming it with I don't know what he's wearing um, but yeah I just wanted to touch it it's, it looks perfect he was dressed for the occasion James uh, and it looks amazing and uh, you've put a smile on my face and Matt's face um, but we just want to kick start it you've emailed us a little bit ago and uh, saying that you listen to our podcast how'd you find us? Um, well, I think like a lot of people you have on the show, I'm, I'm a rugby league um, fanatic, I guess. And uh, the Aussie game is, you know, a lot of people in England don't like to say it, but well, they won't admit it, I think. But I think the NRL, the Aussie game is kind of the pinnacle. So, um, and the Bulldogs are a team that I look out for and I've been interested in. So, yeah, I kind of find you guys, I found you guys and... And you've had some good guests on as well, so it's it's been interesting to listen to it. And yeah, so um, yeah, but it's just, it's been interesting to find out a bit. I think the thing is interesting about when you're in England is you hit, you know, one thing I like about sport is I like football or soccer, what you wouldn't call it, but you know, you, you find out a lot about an area by the teams that are based there. And I'm always interested about the teams that are in Sydney, what areas are what, and it's quite hard to find that out. So actually, listening to the po- your podcast kind of give me a flavour for what. Canterbury's like a bank town, you know. Um, so that was part of the reason I checked out as well. So fantastic! I'm surprised you stuck with us because we've had a rough couple of years, and Scotty and I feel like the uh, podcast could get quite negative at times. Mm. Uh, so I'm surprised you're still with us, mate. Well, you know, I do like an underdog, and pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> but despite all that, uh, we're led to believe that you're actually a, a Newcastle Knights fan, and Joey Johns may have had something to do with that, eh? Well, I think the thing is, you know, you can be a bit fair weather when you're on the other side of the world. So, I mean, Newcastle certainly aren't being, I mean, a great team either to watch. But, um, yeah, back in, back when I was in my teenage years, that was when Andrew Johns, Bedeiros, those guys were kind of um, at the peak. So I used to love watching them. So I guess they were my team at the time. Um, but then, you know, Canterbury as well, uh, the Bulldogs, you know, I always think that 2004 team as well. That that's a team that stands out for me. So um, I guess I've always kind of had that soft spot for you guys as well. But if I had to really pick, I would say probably a Knights fan. Um, but yeah, you can kind of pick and choose when you're the other side of the world who you, you 
you fall off for a bit, so, which is nice. Whoever's on the TV. <laughs> well, yeah, essentially, in a way, but um, but yeah. Um, but, I mean, that, that 2014, I was looking at this morning, and um, just to kind of refresh my memory. And I, I mean, I'm a Leeds Rhinos fan, and I, and I don't... You, <laughs> I don't know how much World Cup challenge really matters to you. You know, we we, we always get the impression that to you guys it doesn't really matter that much. I don't think it does, but you know, Leeds beat Bulldogs in 2005. It's probably one of the best games I've ever seen live. So, and again, that's stuck in my stuck in my memory um, a lot. So, um, yeah, the Bulldogs always seem to be around in my in my consciousness. So, it's rugby. Well, it's the universe. Uh, we the 2005 Leeds game. Uh, awake nice and early watching it live on yeah. tv so it means a lot to us uh it might <laughs> maybe for some fans but to us uh anytime canterbury play uh if it's down the road or if it's in the uk if i mean we want to hopefully get there again uh, so we could play that <laughs> game again but yeah we're up nice and early to watch watch them playing that game means a lot to us i actually remember having a little bit of the shits after not actually getting the win over Leeds. Um, but so the game does mean a lot to us. Um, and we, I think we've even gone to a, a Roosters one yeah. against St. Helens. Yeah. 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 Yes. So, you and I, Scotty, went along there to uh, the SFS to watch that. I think with the World Club Challenge, I think it has actually changed since back then. I would say the Bulldogs as a club maybe didn't take that game as seriously as the grand final or anything like that. But I think with what the Roosters have done since then and really taken a couple of games serious, I think a lot of clubs have or were starting to change their tune a little bit towards it and really putting weight behind being the world club champions. Uh, and then obviously we've hit COVID and we'll, we'll see how we come out of it. But um, yeah. a couple of years before COVID, I think it was really, really changing amongst the clubs themselves. Uh, but fans are fans. We want to win everything. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, for, for the Leeds club at the time, winning that game, that was almost like bigger than winning the, the grand final over here. So it's, it's always meant a lot to British teams, to be honest with you. Um, I think we've always bigged it up. And um, I think <laughs> at the back of our minds, maybe we always knew that, that at times maybe the, the teams coming over weren't the strongest or, or were taken as, as seriously as us. But, um, yeah, I remember the Leeds club absolutely... And the Leeds fans as well, you know, I was one. We just, oh, we're the world champions. <laughs> it meant a big deal. But um, and that Canterbury team at the time we beat was was a really fun team to watch. And I remember Sonny Bill putting a few um, putting a few shoulders in on people. So uh, that was pretty good to see live. Um, um, I don't know if we we like to mention his name on the podcast, but um, <laughs> yeah. uh, that was something that stuck in my memory. That was at um, Ellen Road, wasn't it? Okay. It was, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I almost put through the Leeds United shirt on for you instead, just to give you a bit of local flavour. But, yeah, well, Leeds United's ground and um, Russell Crowe's team, apparently. So, I mean, I know he's a South guy, but um, and Leeds United have always had a bit of an Aussie connection as well. So, um, yeah, that was, that, was, that was at Ellen Road, that game. And, uh, it was full as well. I think there was nearly 40-odd thousand people there. It was, it was absolutely packed. It was, it, was, uh, it was an amazing atmosphere. Interesting to say that you... You, you just said that it's bigger than a grand final. Um, how much history you guys have over there at the game, the Challenge Cup and all that. It's, yeah. I think it's almost, um, it should be a responsibility of the LRL clubs to make their way over to the UK to play these games just because of the boost it gives the game over in the Super League. Now, Scotty and I follow the Super League from afar and we can see the boost that the competition yeah. overall gets when a 
like the NRL brands, I guess, the bigger brands. So when they come to town, we can see that. So yeah, I think it sh- like should be a responsibility of the NRL team is to go over there and, and do their bit for the game overall. Yeah, I think um, I think I don't. I mean, <coughs> a good friend of mine um, was, was from Sydney and um, he's gone back now. Uh, he didn't like the weather in this country, <laughs> uh, but um, he, you know, he kind of said. Um, you know, and I get that impression. Maybe it's maybe he's wrong. Maybe it's correct. But Sydney's a bit of a fishbowl, and you know, it's such a big city. It's a you know mega city, um, and and obviously a lot of the clubs are based there, and, and Brisbane's obviously a big city. So I guess it's hard for you guys to maybe see outside that bubble. Um, and I'm not, and the ways I'm not surprised because you know it sounds like rugby leagues, everything over there. Um, but yeah, I mean for the global game, when when these Aussie and Kiwi teams you know come over, the national teams there. The, the NRL sides, it just lifts the whole, the whole, it lifts the sport in this country or this area of the world. And obviously, France is, is, is rugby is getting bigger in France again. So, um, but yeah, I remember the World Cup final a few years ago as well, between, is it 2008, New Zealand and Australia? I mean, that was a sellout in Manchester, which is not really a rugby league city. Um, you know, so it just showed you what the buzz that, seeing the best in the world always creates a buzz. And, you know, as much as we'd love to admit, again, like I said, in this country, you know the Kiwis and Aussies are the best around at the minute, so we we want to see that. So um, we want to see how we can match up against it. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't blame I don't blame the NRL clubs not for being super eager, but I think if they were looking at the game as a whole, it has a massive impact. It's it's so positive for the game over here. Yeah, absolutely. It's probably comparable to when the big English soccer clubs come out to Australia to play a friendly. Um, Scotty and I are not soccer fans by any stretch of the imagination, but when when a Liverpool or a Manchester comes and the MCG or Stadium Australia is packed for a one-off friendly against uh, Sydney FC or or Melbourne Victory or, or the other Melbourne team down there, um, yeah, <laughs> uh, we we see the benefits soccer gets, the boost like it gets for that week at least. Uh, so I guess it might be comparable mm. to that. Yeah, it's it's that totally, and um, you know I remember all kinds of things like I remember. Um, I remember the all golds did a tour, and um, which uh, and and they they came to Leeds train station, and they they were met by the fans and uh, you know the mayor and all this stuff. It was like a huge deal, and I mean, that just stuck in my memory. I mean, I know when they, I don't know where the Aussies are planning on basing themselves for the World Cup, but um, I know thing like I think New Zealand are based in uh, maybe York or somewhere like that. So I don't know the cities there has made, made a big deal of it, and it's you know it's it's, it's it might seem strange to, you to say, but it's exotic to have you know these you know these superstars coming over, and um, yeah, it's it's just it's just a huge deal, and it, I think that's a really good comparison between the, um, the the big soccer clubs going over to Australia. Um, and I think soccer's to, be, to give soccer credit. I mean, it's a global game, isn't it? And I think it's always aware, or at least the clubs are aware, of the impact of having a global presence can have. And mm-hmm. I think that's something rugby league really has not switched on to at all. So, um, at all really. And I think it's to its detriment that we haven't exploited the fact that these fans all over the world, we just we just don't get to them really. So, yeah, hundred percent agree with that. I think. Uh... 
without going too far down that rabbit hole, rugby union, rugby sevens, where it was in the nineties compared to where it is now. It's getting huge crowds in Spain and Vegas and LA and all that sort of stuff. Um, It wasn't doing that back then. So I think that's an example you can look at there. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, rugby union is a really interesting one. I mean, um, you know, like you said, not to go on, we're not going to talk about that too much, but I mean, look, in, in Leeds, it's not even a, there's not really a professional rugby league union team. But when the Six Nations is on, you, you go to a bar and it's full. So yeah. um, no one's going to go watch Leeds, what, what's, what they call Leeds Tykes or Leeds Carnegie. I mean, they were getting 500 people. You know, Leeds Rounds are getting, what, 12,000, 13,000. No one's going to go watch a club game. But when England are playing, uh, you know, people want switching on. The, uh, the Lions are playing, the people are switching on. So again, I think it, it's a great example. It's just a great illustration of why the, the international game or the global game in any sport is, is the key to key to success, I guess. You've got me thinking uh, with the World Club Challenge, if it does come back, hopefully next year we can get a game again after COVID. But could we send, like a couple of years ago, send two or three NRL clubs out and against different Super League teams? Like you might have your World Club Challenge and your top top and then as in like lead up games with that, improve the game over in England? If they just send some bigger brands like Canterbury? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think, uh, I think there was a brief, uh, you know what, the bull, I mean, I think the thing is, Canterbury's got a, it's got, it's not, it's, it's historic, it's a historic club, isn't it? And it's mm. also got, um, I know it sounds silly, but I mean, I, I just love NRL badges, like, and then the, the Bulldogs have got good one. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, like, you see that on a poster, you're going to see that looks, you know, it looks interesting. But um, I think there was briefly did it for a little bit. I think they had the team come over, didn't they? they had like a bit of a series once for one or two years. And mm. it, looked, it seemed quite good. That I think, I think, I mean, there's a few problems with it. I think, well, I, I think it's, I think I want it to happen, but I think you guys are just too good often a lot of the time. So you're going to be blowout games. And, um, you know, it's, it's a tricky one. I think, having the buzz there of the clubs coming over and, and seeing those big games is really important. But then also when you're actually seeing that we're actually quite a little bit inferior, um, it's a bit of a balancing act. And I think if you know you're going to go and see the side lose 60, 70 nil, or whatever, um, it can put people off. So it's a real tricky one, isn't it? But I do think having like a, a broader World Club setup would be, would be really good. I mean, they're on about, they've been on about doing it in meeting in the middle as well, haven't they? Been doing it in like mm. Dubai or something like that. So um and you know and I think some of the wealthier fans might in, in this country might really love relish that opportunity to go somewhere different and, and see see these big games. And yeah, I think it's a it's a really interesting one. It's interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean yeah. Sorry man, I was gonna say it's an interesting point you make there because if St Helens they've won three Super Leagues in a row, if they were to yeah. get belted by Penrith It'd be, I could imagine that could be quite deflating. Yeah. For the whole competition. But it's, it's, a, but it's a balancing act, isn't it? I mean, you only, you only mm. get better by beat, facing the best. Yeah. I mean, when, when Rhinos had a period of, 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 of domination, there was this kind of talk, well, if you put Rhinos in, you know, when he's talking about Rhinos, seven, 2007 to 2009, mm. or, that, or 2015, you know, had some really good sides. If you put them in the NRL, how would they go? I remember like Kevin Sinfield won the golden boot and everyone, a lot of, a lot of people down under were finding that quite funny. I think um, mm. people saying, well, how would he go in that competition? And I think the consensus was, you know, they, they, they kind of hold their own, but they probably wouldn't make, make the, you know, the playoffs or the final series. So 
and I, and I think that was probably accurate. I think they probably win some, not win many, but um, but I, I think there was almost this idea that actually Leeds, if they would have the opportunity, could they actually make it work? And I don't, obviously it was never really feasible, but yeah. I think you know these players, you know like these Simfields, your Jamie Peacocks. I think in the back of my mind, I always thought, well, I'd love to have the opportunity to, to face up and, and to these these teams and have the opportunity regularly. Yeah. Um, I mean, so I'm really Adrian Morley. I don't, I don't know if it's true, but this is what reported over here that Adrian Morley was considering becoming an Australian citizen to play in a state of origin series. I yeah. mean, that was back in the day, but yeah, I, I think that. he had the same mentality. Could he? Could he do it? You know, could he? Could he? Could he play in these big games? And, um, hmm. The British guys are competitors, you know, and I think they want always to push themselves face the best. I think the players would always be up for it big time if they, if they yeah. had the opportunity to play these clubs. Well, I think uh, recently um, with players like Luke Thompson and Elliot Whitehead, uh, Bateman for a short period of time, Hodson, uh, and obviously the Burgess boys, um, have come out and really proven themselves. I think that's gained a lot of respect for the English game amongst yeah. some, some Australian fans, we'll say that. There are still some that... You know, go, oh, yeah, well, the teams won't, wouldn't do any good and all that sort of thing. You, look, you, you never know until it, if it ever happened, right? Leeds or yeah. well, St. Helens now might be able to make the finals of the NRL. We don't know. Well, mate, we, we mentioned that you're wearing a Bulldogs jersey and it's a retro Bulldogs jersey, which is good. Um, yeah. you've, you've given us a favourite game, I'm, I'm assuming Ellen Road when Leeds beat the Bulldogs. <laughs> Not too many <laughs> Dogs fans. Well, my favourite game is a loss, but we'll, we'll take that. Give us a favourite player and we'll accept you as a, Officially, as a bulldog fan, well, the uh, so favorite bulldogs <laughs> was um, El Masri. Really, I think it's um, he's a bit of a cliche choice, but he's just when I when I think of the bulldog, I think of him. You know, just mm. a lot of reasons. I mean, um, it was just. I mean, again, this is where you come into like the the the, the um, demographics of a team and stuff like that. And as far as I'm aware, that he kind of, you know, that the Bulldogs who have kind of like a, a you know, a Lebanese element to this part and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. And, and obviously, he had some links to that. So, I mean, that kind of, to me, kind of has that, that link. But then also, just as a player, he just had that, I don't know, X factor, I guess. I mean, that's a bit cliche to say that. But I don't know, he, just, he was just brilliant to watch. And um, he just had that. Suit. <laughs> So he had that suicide quality, I think. But then also, I mean, when I've seen him interviewed, he was very kind of um, down to earth, very seemed very approachable. To me, he always summed, seemed to sum up the club. So I mean, I'm, I'm saying that from afar, but yeah, he was the player I associated with the Bulldogs and, and this player I was used to love watching. Um, I mean, I, w- I will say Willie Mason as well, but again, <laughs> I don't know if he's, 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 he's someone who, who you. Um, as a Bulldogs fan, you know, I don't know if he's, if he's someone you like to mention as much, but he he always kind of, I wouldn't say he was a favourite player. He was a, he was a notorious player for me, I guess. But um, but yeah, but El Masri, I think I was the one to go for. Um, yeah, overall, um, when you look back over some older, older, you know, older kind of, you know, I do like to watch older games as well. Um, I mean, obviously. The eighties was before my time, but there was there's a few players from the eighties, that eighties era as well that I kind of really um have enjoy watching. Um, you know, kinda of like uh, you know, Teddy Teddy Lambs and stuff like that. So um, you know, he was obviously um kind of before my time, but someone I really enjoyed watching, um in retrospect. Um I mean and he seems like a nice guy as well. I would have seen him interviewed. Um I was watching an interview with him this morning, so 
Yeah. But effective shoes, El Masra. Let me tell you something about Hasmal Masra and how much, how much he's loved and how much of a god I guess he is at, around Belmore. He, he yeah. still has some engagement with the Bulldogs and does a bit of work with the club today. Uh, you yeah. can go to Members Day today, tomorrow, and if he's standing there in his own little section signing autographs, he will yeah. have double the amount as the popular, the most popular player at the Bulldogs at the moment. He just still, like, you know, he's retired 2009, yet he yeah. comes around and people have said, I've met him, I've got like 50 signatures of him, but I need 51, I need this. There's something just about him when he just comes in. And then he sits there and doesn't rush you on your way. You just have a yeah. chat with him and you have a conversation with him. He's got the photos and everything. He's amazing. And so is Terry Lamb. Even Terry Lamb still, he's, he works the club full on a full-time basis. Mm. But yeah, he's always at Members Day. Even when he's not trying to be involved and let the players do it, he ends up being mugged, Terry Lamb. Like he's got everyone <laughs> around him and he's too nice to say, you know, this is for the, the, these players. That he's just happy to you know be there. So they're two really great picks. And they still, I don't think, I think in 30 years time, they'll be still spoken about. Yeah. So I think there's some great picks. Yeah. All-time legends of the clubs, those two. Willie Mason, he's not held in any ill fought by, by Bulldogs fans at this present time. In fact, he's I think he's, he's much he's much loved at the moment as well. I think there was a little bit when he left us, but I think that's any player. Uh, Sonny Bill is still a bit of a sore spot for, for some of us. Uh, but For uh, us too, for sure. For <laughs> us too, we're not going to lie about um, that one. Coming around. With, with Hazem, his farewell game was... Um, was uh, reported on by the big networks in America. That just goes to show yeah. how much of an impact he had in, in rugby league. But another reason we've got you on the podcast, James, is that um, you, a couple of years ago, wrote a book about Clive Sutherland. So you got to tell us yeah. a little bit about that book and a bit about the man himself. He was a bit before our time. Uh, so it's yeah. be a good learning opportunity for Scotty and myself. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I wrote a book um, I'll try. I'll get your copy sent over. Some I will get it to you. I've, I've sent a few copies over to Australia in the past. Um, but um, yeah, I wrote a book about Clive Sullivan. It did quite well over in this country. I mean, a rugby book. It's hard to get Australian rugby books in this country. You can get them, uh, but obviously it's not. It's, it's been a fairly local book. But I wrote about Clive Sullivan. So he was a really influential figure in the British Rugby League, although he was fairly forgotten uh, before I wrote about him. Um, to a certain extent, in, in some parts of the game, um, he he, played, he had a very long career, starting in the 60s, played out to the 80s. Uh, he really kind of saw the change of Rugby League in this country, and actually internationally as well, because he was part of some big Ashes tours. Um, but yeah, he was, he was a winger. He played for, he was from Wales, uh, he was a black British Welshman, uh, so um, and in the sixties, you know, he, he had some real kind of social challenges to overcome. Uh, but he, he played for Hull FC to start off with; was really successful for them. Um, he was a really good player. They never quite reached the heights with when he was playing for them. They were always a little bit falling short. Um, and then he went moved over this other side of the city to Hull KR, which is a big, big rivalry there. Probably maybe the biggest in British rugby league to be honest with you, in terms of in the city. I mean, Hull FC and Hull are huge teams. He moved between them. He was still quite fairly loved. I mean, that showed the, the how much he was loved at Hull FC. They kind of said, okay, fair enough. We understand. You don't want to move his family out of the city. Um, and then he had a really successful spell with Hull KR, uh, with probably their best spell in their history. Um, he was involved in some really good games. Um, 
and he was there kind of, and he was there the eighties when you start to see Aussie guys go, up, you know, bigger the, the Australian guys, maybe you guys like Sterling, you know, the um, Peter Sterling, etc. Uh, Joey Luluai, all these kind of people, um, Aussies and Kiwis coming on a little bit more, and he was he was an old older guy then he was in his late thirties, but he managed to keep up when the game was. He was still a winger. Um, he managed to keep up with him, and he had some really bad injuries as well. I mean, he got told he wouldn't when he was a child. He got told he wouldn't be able to walk. Basically, he had really bad damage to his cartilage, and he was ripping stream to shreds even into his mid thirties. And had a bit of a fairy tale ending as well. He went back to Hull FC right at the end of his career, basically just to be around the club, be a bit old, old experienced. And one of his last ever games, he won the Challenge Cup uh, for Hull FC. So. Oh, wow. Um, you know, and he was in his late thirties then. Um, and then, very tragically, he more or less the season after he retired, he died um, suddenly. Of, well, he had cancer. And it was very aggressive, and, and it just kind of hit. And I think maybe that's why he kind of drifted out of consciousness to the rugby league public, even in this country, because he he should have been, you know, by rights, he should have still been around over the and and, and being involved with the game. Um, and, and aside from all that he did at club level, he was also very successful at the national level. He won an Ashes tour over in Australia, which was maybe one of the best Ashes tours ever. Um, really good. If you look at the team, the British team and the Australian team, it was absolutely outstanding teams, both both sides. Really well matched. I think that's probably maybe when the games were most evenly matched in terms of the ability level. And he was a, he was a star player on that tour. And then he won the World Cup in 1972 as well and scored the what proved to be the winning try, um, going the length of the field, he was the captain. And in terms of British society at the time, that was huge. He was the first black British person to captain a British national sporting team. Um, and he won a World Cup. And um, the, the tragic thing was when I re re researched the book, you know, they, they won the World Cup and they got back, flew back and they thought, we're gonna, we won the World Cup. And that was Britain's last major honour nationally in rugby league. And they got back and there was no one there. <laughs> There's that one person from the RFL who said, oh, yeah, well done. Um, there's, your, there's your winning bonus. One of the players told me that they looked at the winning bonus and had all this cost deducted from it as well. So they didn't come yeah. back with much yeah. money. Um, you know, this is part-time. This is the part-time area. You take time off work to go there. I think they lost, a lot of them lost money to go over there and win a World Cup. And um, really, really tragic and in, in terms of... It was a missed opportunity for rugby league, um, I think, in this country. Um so yeah, I wrote the book about him, and it did quite well. It was it was a Guardian Sports Book of the Year, which obviously the Guardian's the, the big newspaper in this country, um, which was quite a big deal because usually picks soccer books or you know, you know, cricket book maybe, but mainly football, you know, soccer. Uh, so it was nice for me to get that, and it it, it seemed to give Sullivan a bit of a bounce. Uh, the BBC, you know, the, on the front page of the BBC website, they ran a story about him, kind of as a pioneer. Um, and they interviewed me, which was nice. And um, and then the, the the World Cup Rugby League ball is called the Sullivan Ball after him now, actually, as well. So um, I'm hopefully going to be involved with something, parts of the World Cup, just um, doing a little bit of media stuff to help them out. Well, not help them out, they're helping me out, really. But, um, um, but yeah, I mean, I mean we, we built some statues to Rugby League greats over in this country outside Wembley, um, and he wasn't included, which is baffling to me um why he wasn't on that on that list of players but um yeah it was a love, much loved figure and um 
yeah, I think I don't know if he's Australia in Australia if he's really well known or he's well well remembered, but um, he's well worth checking out. He's some highlights on on YouTube, and he he would I think he'd fit into the modern game hundred percent. You know, what a lot of his teammates said of all the players I played with, he's the one who could have gone you know in this era because he had everything: you know, athleticism, speed, power, unreal defense. So yeah, check him out if you if you've ever heard of him. Just just check out some videos. Of him. Well. One thing that you might know about Scotty and I is that we are rugby league nerds. So we do know a little bit about Clive, obviously not as much yeah. as yourself. Um, did he also have a statue built in Wales recently? He did have a statue built in Wales, yeah. So there's a statue yeah. to him in Wales, not outside Wembley with the rugby league bit, but there's, there's a statue outside in Wales to him, which was a big deal. I mean, Wales is a rugby league union stronghold, really. Although the rugby, like the rugby league, however it comes, I guess, there, but um, yeah, that's quite a big deal to have that statue over there, built of him. Also, the main, the big main road into Hull is named after him. Which the amount of people who said to me, "Oh, when I say I wrote a book, who about Clive Sullivan?" Oh, I've written, I've driven down that road, but I don't know who he is. Who is he? So, yeah. a lot of people probably actually know his name because you know you, you go into Hull, there's only one way out, one way in, one way out. <laughs> um, it's an interesting city. Um, Interesting, sit one way, one way, one way out, and it's called after it's named after him. So, these parts of the country are dotted, know, know about him and, and aware of him. The when they did the hundred greatest uh, black Britons as well, he was including that list. So, um, yeah, he was he was known in that way. Um, but yeah, he's still. I mean, he's he's still very not very well known. I mean, that kind of reflects the status of rugby in this country in a way that he's kind of under the radar a little bit. When I was doing a bit of research of him, I was aware a bit about him and I was doing research and looked at his career and how long it's spanned for. How yeah. did someone back then, like we joked that, like, you know, we got, we had Cameron Smith who recently retired in the NRL and everyone yeah. joked he was playing into his 50s and 60s because he just was never going to end. With all the sports science today, how did someone back then do something <laughs> like that? That's insane. I looked at it and I thought this had typo and I'm looking at different websites to cross-reference it yeah. and I'm thinking how does someone do it for that long like and like you said at the start he wasn't meant to be there in the first place he was meant not, and he's still there yeah I think the thing that Ben was said about him when I spoke to his ex-teammates and I mean just as a sidebar one of the reasons I'm really pleased I wrote that book especially at the time it was a few years ago now was that a lot of his teammates were getting on a little bit or ill health and you know unfortunately a few of them passed away and one of the things I'm really pleased about was I got a lot of those memories down before we lost those memories and I actually gave a lot of those interviews to RFL as well. So they they put them in their archive as kind of a as a bit of a as an audio thing. But um a lot of the things that they said about him, hundred percent I said they said was his determination and mentality. Um it was all about that for him. He was the you know the ultimate kind of competitor competitor, the ultimate winner. You know, if he if he lost, you know, his wife was brilliant with me, Rosalind and I let her know that this is this is coming out she she, she's just, you know, it's kind of his biggest cheerleader still, but and she was brilliant with me. And he should, if he, you know, if he was, if he didn't win, he was in a foul mood, you know, they knew if he didn't win. So I think, I think that was it. He, did, he didn't want, he, losing wasn't acceptable to him. And I think, you know, I, I know you spot to other athletes and other, I think sometimes at that level, the top level, they've also got this mentality. And he was the ultimate mentality guy, I think. And, the pain that he had in his legs, the, the, the restrictions they had, that was almost, that didn't matter to him. What mattered to him was scoring tries and winning games. I think, and it, 
And I, and I think the other side of it is as well, it was the part-time era, which I think he was a supreme athlete, to be honest. I think he could have definitely fit in this era, but I think that did help a little bit. You know, there was a little bit less training, maybe a little bit more. Let's see what goes out, happens on the, what happens on the Saturday or a Sunday. You know, we might only, we might only train twice a week, maybe three times a week. So I think that did help a little bit maybe for him that in, in terms of he didn't get worn out too much in the training field. But um, I think it really boiled down to his mentality, self-belief, determination, I think. It kind of overcame a lot of things. Yeah, fantastic. And he was one of, well, he was the first black captain of a Great Britain sporting team. And he was one yeah. of those prolific tri-scoring wingers, wasn't he, that we hear so much about yeah. from the English game? Yeah, um, he was. And um, I'm really good friends with Kai. I'll tell him, there's a guy called Alan Smith, who he was, he was kind of a lead legend. And uh, me and him have kind of become friends, which is which is lovely for me. That was one of the side, one of, again, one of the side products of the books for me, kind of getting friendly with all these the old the old timers and uh, with these great stories, you know, when I've been retired a few years, they're a bit more looser with the with the, with the tales. So. And he, uh, yeah, I mean, he was he was his contemporary, and he said, you know, in terms of, and he was a prolific as well, Alan Smith. And um, Alan's is very Alan's very generous with his memories and his time and and his and his opinions. But he always says, you know, Clive was, I was there, and Clive was the best. You know, he was he was the one who. I mean, not only could he score, but if he hit you, he hit you. <laughs> so if you tack- if you, if you got tackled by him, he stayed tackled. So he had a bit of everything in his locker. But yeah, he was a really elusive runner, prolific. Um, you know, some some seasons of injuries, he he would he didn't get that high amount, but his longevity um, and he was prolific on some seasons, especially when he had good service, especially at Hull. When he had like Sir Roger Millward there, uh, when he had that great service. You know, he kind of seemed to be one of those players who got better with age as well. So, um, and I think he maybe just got a bit more wily, a bit more, a bit more switched on. I remember, he was a rugby union convert, which uh, is a good. It's another thing that was kind of against him, I guess. And um, it was, I mean, that that was its own challenge in itself, I guess. But yeah, it was, it was certainly prolific. And like I said, one of the clutch of those wingers at the time that the British game had in the seventies, eighties that were that were racked up big numbers. It's, it's, oh, I'm just in all that this is I want to read the book already if I can <laughs> if I can be honest because you can't you know playing that long and then you know the the, the story you've mentioned before it like I'd love I love sports writing books I, I love uh I love sports books when it goes into this behind where you get inside detail if it's from the athlete itself or from others who know the athlete anything when it comes to that and it could be almost it could almost be any sport I'm always interested to see what made them tick and what made them better like they've what made him do that but this um you know how long he played for and you know the first you know like the british captain who was black uh in that time period as well that was yeah it is absolutely outstanding like how like how was it well received then when they gave him the captaincy do you know that or if it was a positive yeah i mean i think um i think rugby league in I think rugby league in this country and globally has got this. Uh, to me, rugby league's always been about can you do it, and if you can do it, then we don't care what your background is, you know. Mm. And, um, and I and I think for him, he, he could he could everyone loved him. It was well, it was loved in the game by fans, whoever the team was, the players they loved him. I felt a lot of he wasn't really as he wasn't a, he wasn't super verbal, he wasn't shouty, but 
he would lead by example. He was a role model as a player, and no one had any qualms about him being picked. And I, and I, I think it was as I wrote in the book, it was almost an it was not really even thought of that the fact that it was a big deal socially that he was black. It was just that he was the best candidate for the job, and and I, and I think that's a rugby's credit. I mean, I've written something else about that, which I'll I'll send you guys a link to it, but. I've said this before. I mean, you might dis, you might say it's different in, down under, but I think in rugby league in the, in the UK is a really progressive sport in terms of we we will we will give you the opportunities. You know, the rugby league in this country has broken a lot of barriers in terms of sport. There was Clive Sullivan. There's a guy called Lee Crambot who played for, for Leeds. He was the first Muslim to play for um, British Asian to play for um, to play for a national seat side as well. Um, we got we had Keegan Hurst. He was openly an openly gay player. We've had a lot female rugby has been fairly big in this country for a while now. You know, I think the communities that rugby has come from is it, drawn from. Um, you know, it's about what it's about working hard, being tough. You know, mm. being being fronting stuff up. I guess you know, being front. You know, and, and having a go. And, and I don't think people start judging people on on the backgrounds or something. I'm saying it's like. We were going to judge you on your merits. So, um, yeah, so Clive was really well received and really well loved. And um, I mean, in terms of the book, I mean, just to go on a bit of a sidetrack, I guess, but mm. one of the things that was fascinating for me was when I spoke to the old players as well, just just hearing about, I mean, I'm, I don't I don't know how you guys, I don't want to make assumptions, but uh, I'm in my early 30s. So I was interviewing guys who were well before my time, just hearing about how it was to be in a working class community in the UK and, 60s, 70s, you know, it was fascinating to me to hear about how rugby league was steep in our communities and it hasn't really changed. And that's why I'm so fascinated about, you know, in, in Sydney, how, you know, what, you know, you got down to Belmore, what's what's the environment around there? You know, what, what are people talking about? What What's the what's the culture around the clubs? You know, and, um, and it was fascinating for me to look back in time to hear about those things. I mean, I don't know if you've seen a film called This Sport in Life. Um but I'd recommend it if you could dig it out. I think it's on YouTube. It's about it's about rugby league player in the sixties, um, set in the sixties in in Wakefield basically, um, and it's a really good film. Really interesting about rugby league and working class areas and 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 the old and old you know what England was like back in the day. And me speaking that was one of my favourite films. And speaking to these old old guys, it was it was really eye opening to me. So yeah, Clive was the best man for the job and. And it gave me a window into so much other things that were going on at the time as well, socially. That sounds really interesting. And a couple of those references you dropped there, yeah, send them through to us if you can. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll be some good evening viewing and, and reading for Scotty and I. We're, we're all into that sort of stuff no, as well. Yeah. We <laughs> might even we might even have to throw up a a Twitter live or something for you. We'll walk the streets of Belmore so you can have a bit of a <laughs> bit of a feel on game day. What that's like it does get a bit lively. Lively. Um, yeah. It's good to hear about Clive though being well received. I think the same can be said for rugby league down here in Australia as well. Like you get the odd. Yeah. Um, well, there's only one way to put it. You get the odd dickhead that might target a, a particular player for some stupid reason, but overall, you're a very inclusive, very inclusive sport. Um, hey. I was just gonna say, Clive did have a bit of racism, so it wasn't completely, yeah, it wasn't completely absent. He did receive some from the terraces, but it was generally speaking, yep, you know, pretty, pretty. I mean, uh, from what I heard from people said, you know, ch- ch- fans would challenge their own fans if he was, yeah, and receiving yeah. and saying, no, you know, 
leave it out kind of thing. And um, so I, I, I thought that was a really refreshing day, actually, that people, you know, we're talking about 60, <laughs> yeah. the 60s, 70s, you know, and people were kind of doing it then. So, yeah. So I, not there was some of it, but it, it, it was not as prevalent as you might think, especially in the sport. It's good to hear um, that that's going on in the 60s. It's, it's good and bad because um, it happened a couple of years ago at a Warriors game in the NRL where fans were actually pointing out to a stadium security who were the people doing the wrong thing, which is interesting. Um, my yeah. question for you, James, what was the biggest achievement for him? Was it um, the Ashes or was it the Ooh. World Cup? <laughs> I, think, um, I think it was the Ashes, I think. From everything, from everyone that said about that team, who was on that team again, Alan Smith was a great. I, you know, I missed the Roger Millward, unfortunately, did just was not in a good way when I was writing a book, and he passed away. He was a big part of that team, and that team was starting to, you know, was, and there was another guy, John Atkinson, a big Lee's legend. He was involved with that. He was actually Clyde's roommate. He passed away just before I wrote it. So it was really kind of unfortunate. I missed a lot. Of Johnny Whiteley, who just passed away, he was involved. I did speak to him. Um, he, uh, but all the ones that players did manage to speak to, even the ones who didn't go on the tour, said that that Ashes series was, you know, that was, that was a big one. And um, that Aussie team was was a really good team. And it, some of the some of the club sides that the, the British team played faced were, were good sides. You know, it was a really tough tour. I mean. Again, it was really Alan Smith who was taught, taught me through that at length. But um, you know, it was a it was a big event, you know, big deal going over there. And it, there's always been, you know, <laughs> we're kind of like I think Aussies and the English, you know, we're kind of like the best best of enemies kind of thing. You know, we <laughs> we love each other but hate each other. So <laughs> I think you know the British guys going over there, we, they wanted to they wanted to win. You know, they, they, it was a big deal, and I think the World Cup was. A big deal to the to the guys, but you know the the way they won it was quite strange, and we kind of the draw the drew with the Aussies in the final, but they won because of the the, the season for you know the, the format. Whereas the Ashes, I think they felt like they 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 won it on the, on the field as it was, but again that 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 tour again. I mean, I'm sure you guys have checked it out, but for the listeners, you know, check those games out because you know we we look at we think of back and we think of rugby league being. You know, we see it as now the pinnacle of these Ulama athletes and in, in a way they are, but there were some tough kids, you know, tough lads back there. I'm gonna say kids are like 70 on that, but tough <laughs> lads back there, you know. So um really tough guys and they weren't full time athletes, it's worth pointing out. And the the the, the effort they put in, the, the the determination, but on every side, you know, the Aussie side, the, the British side, unreal. And I think they had the most satisfaction coming back from that. And I think that was probably the best. That was probably the best British team, maybe ever. So, um, and and Clive was part of that. So I think it meant a lot to him. I think, yeah, I think winning the Challenge Cup as well with Hull right at the end of his career in his forties was meant a lot to him as well. Um, it's a brilliant picture in the book. I will make sure you get a copy. But I found a, I spent a lot of time in the archives in around the North England old old newspaper archives, and I've, I've dug this picture out of him. He's got his teeth out. He had some false teeth and with a cup and his wife said to me, Oh, you know, that's 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 his like him at his peak, you know, his happiness. So he just look I can tell you how, how thrilled he is. So and I, I think on a on a, on, a, on a sentimental level, I think winning that challenge cut right at the end of his career meant a lot to him. Um 
and it was quite, quite nice actually because uh, when I found that picture I said there's a little quote underneath and just something like I've done this to my wife and she'd never actually seen that so she'd never seen this quote so you know 30 odd years later I kind of dug out this little this dedication in made to <laughs> she'd actually seen so um, I think with the fact that he dedicated that to her suggested that meant a lot to him as well but yeah the ashes was a big deal and it still is I think it's a shame it's kind of well, Britain didn't do great in the last half years. <laughs> Can you describe for the Aussie listeners the Challenge Cup uh, and how big it is? Because we, we, like we we pay attention to it, uh, and it's yeah. like the old it's it's higher than winning the Super League Grand Final. Yeah. But can you describe it in what it's like in England when the Challenge Cup is on every year? Like when the Grand Final, like when the final is on and the Challenge Cup. Can you describe to us what? Like, yeah. what makes it special, that event? I think the one a big thing is it's on BBC, which is like the terrestrial broadcaster, so everyone can watch it. Uh, whereas the grand final has, has been always been on Sky, so it's behind the paywall, which does damage it. I've, I've, and and the, the, grand, the Super Grand Final's on in the evening. It's in Manchester, you know, so um, basically within the heartlands of rugby league in this country, whereas Challenge Cup's in London. You know, it's, it's a weekend event, you know, I always think it's it's like the North invades the South, which um, in the UK and in England, you know, it's it's kind of I mean, it's North and South culturally in the England in England and and then the whole of Britain, there's, there's, there's some differences there. So um, yeah, that you know, I've I've gone down to watch. I went down to watch St Helens and Hull one year. You know, you just uh, it's just a big thing culturally. I mean, I remember like my grandparents; they weren't really into rugby league that much. On one side of my family, one side of the family, they were really into it, but. Even the side that weren't really into it, they'd just get booked the tickets, jump on a coach, go down. Who's the nearest team to us geographically? We'll support them today. Mm-hmm. You know, Wembley's the national arena. You have the national broadcaster, the eyes on it. It's like it's like rugby league's day in the sun, I guess. But and um, you know, the, I mean, the unfortunate thing is, is I think that we're losing a little bit of that, which is a real shame. But <laughs> it's just a great occasion, and they play the bide with me, the the him and. Um, you know, you see people in tears and um, getting very emotional. And I think it's almost like, probably like you guys, you know, rugby is passed down from generation to generation in this country. And you, going to the Challenge Cup's like a big kind of, I don't, it just feels like a big deal. I remember my dad took me for my 18, for example, and it was Hull and Saints. I didn't even care. It was just, let's have a weekend. We're going to have a weekend in Hull, um, London, celebrating, you know, your 18. Um, we had a good weekend, <laughs> me and my dad, that weekend and I've been down to watch Leeds win it, uh, down to watch Leeds lose it um, and then there was a brief period as well where it moved around the country because Wembley was getting redeveloped and again that was great I went to Cardiff one year, we lost to Hull Leeds but unbelievable day really memorable and yeah it's just it's just fascinating and to give you an illustration I remember being on the underground tube in London and there was this couple there, obviously the locals, uh, Londoners and I said to where are these people? These why are these people here? Why are these people with these different accents? And the guy said, "Oh, it's the, you know, it's the Challenge Cup final, isn't it? You know, they're all here to watch that." So, um, when you, I feel like when you're in one there with the country, where you feel like you're a little bit ignored. You go somewhere the capital and you make a noise, and and you you kind of visible for the day. And I think that's why the Challenge Cup actually culturally is a big deal for mm. for those in this country. Definitely, it's also the oldest rugby league competition in the world. Um, yeah. And does does the fact that in theory, at least any team, professional or amateur, could win it play into that? 
Is there still a bit of magic behind that? Like, obviously, on the field, the professional clubs are going to 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 beat the um, semi-professional and amateur teams pretty easily. Uh, but you do hear, you know, uh, the odd fairy tale story of Featherston making the semi-final or Lee, mm. Lee Saturians. Does yeah. that play into that little bit of magic as well? Yeah, big time. I mean, to lose before a few years, a good few years ago, they they got to the semi-finals, I think, and they were semi-professional in the French game because the French teams have been invited over. There's the odd occasional random team like from Russia as well or, yeah. or, or Spain get the invite as well, which has a bit of magic to it as well. But yeah, that's a big deal. And I mean, for example, um, in my day job, I work with someone who is a semi-pro player for Swin- uh, Swinton Lions. So he was playing in it the other week. So, you know, and it, it's big. He, the players, for him, it was a big deal. Can I get through? Can I get? Can I play a professional team? I mean, yeah, it's, I think that's a big part of it. I remember once going to see my local amateur team, Alton Raiders, play the Army, British Army, and they beat the British Army. So that was like a big feather in their cap as well. And you've got these quite random teams. And yeah, and, and you'd be some of the semi-pro teams and some of the amateur teams can turn over the semi-pro teams. That's happened a few times. And then some of the semi-pro teams can give the full-time teams a really good game. I remember Lee Centurions a few years ago was semi-pro. They really gave Lee's, Lee's a tough game. You know, phys- you know, <laughs> there was a few uh, punch-ups in that. I think it was a f- literally physical, you know, very physical, you know. that. And, yeah, I mean, the thing is about rugby, it's a community sport. Like I said, I worked with somebody who was a semi-pro player, and he's gone, he's out, he's out playing these, these, he might have a chance to play your, your super-sized Sam Tompkins or et cetera. Um, and that is a big deal. And he's, like I say, yeah. it's an old trophy as well, a lot of history. It's a beautiful trophy as well. Um, I've been lucky enough to kind of be near it and hold it and stuff, and... It's absolutely stunning up close. I think, um, yeah, I think the whole, the everything about it is, it just has a lot of intrigue and mystique about it. It's, I wish the, I wish the sport in this country would, would make even more of that, really. I think it sleep, I think it sleeps on the potential of it a little bit. Well, we had um, a Bulldogs player, go, or an ex-Bulldogs player head over, if you remember Frank Pritchard, and that was his ultimate yeah. goal. He was went in and out and did it. Um, so he, um, yeah. he made it very fascinating because I, I remember really paying a lot of attention to Hull uh, with Frank Pritchard over there and uh, how he said that was one of his main factors of leaving. And when he came back, he said he achieved whatever, like what he wanted to achieve straight like yeah. straight away. And he came back to the NRL, uh, which actually it's left a few, uh, few people a little bit like in Australia, like, oh, so he went over there just to, to do that. And he said that was always something that he wanted to tick off his, rugby league like bucket list i guess and he went there and did that so um it yeah. seems to be massive for some of the players down here as well yeah i think um when leeds had their winning spell they won the grand super league grand final you know, three years in a row but they kept losing the Champions cup and that was like the that was like the monkey on the back really for and leeds of my club leeds you know we've had a we won the most successful clubs in the Challenge Cup by fine Wigan, I think. I think we're second in terms of wins, but I think we've had the most losses as well. So the Challenge Cup's got a weird, weird thing for me. It's it's the, the grand final, the league's always a is a big deal. And it, I think um over the last few years I've started to level up a little bit. For good for good or bad, I think. I think it's a real it's a real hard balancing act in this country. We want the grand final to be a big deal, we want the league to be a big deal, but the Challenge Cup is quite precious really we, we can't really diminish that um mm. but yeah some of the players they will tell you the highlight was winning that challenge cup and being at Wembley and um 
and yeah, yeah. It's, it's got a national audience as well. I mean, you ask somebody, you ask somebody who's not really a rugby league fan, they're a rugby league player. It'll be someone who's probably had a big moment in the Challenge Cup final. You might in a fire, for example, he scored that famous try against Leeds. But you know, you might in a fires, you Sean Edwards, you know, he's, he's the Wigan team that that dominate the Challenge Cup. They're they're still people's go to for rugby league in this country mm. because it was on national TV. You know, there was the eighties. There was the finals in the eighties were brilliant as well. Again, against Hull Wigan, some unbelievable finals in the eighties that um, that hold a, a special memory for people. And the BBC once did the rugby league night. Actually, which really was really good night. <laughs> TV just dedicated to rugby league, and which is a big deal in this country to have them to do that. And they yeah. played this sport in life, which I mentioned earlier, but they put on the Challenge Cup final from the seventies, and um, you could, you, you know, it was. And you could tell people tune in and they thought, yeah, I remember this from my childhood. So I might not watch much exposure to rugby league because I lived in, I don't know, Bristol or um, Devon or, you know, some of these places that are way out of the, the heartlands of rugby league. But actually, I remember that final. So I remember Eddie Waring, the, the famous commentator, um, who, who did all the finals for a long time. Um, so, yeah, it's, it holds a special place in a lot of people's hearts in this country. And it, it's nice to hear that it does for you guys down under as well because... You always get that. We always get told, oh, Aussies love the Challenge Cup, but you don't know if uh, that's true or if you just people are just yeah. saying that when they come over to be nice. But uh, yeah, I mean, it seems like it's fascinating to you guys, which is nice to hear. Yeah, it's probably, um, I don't know, I don't know the figures, but it's probably spoken about more than the Super League Grand Final for us. Um, yeah, especially, sure. uh, I know the players from the 80s and, and the, uh, early 90s speak about it as, as high as an NRL or. New South Wales rugby league grand final at the time, especially like Peter. I've heard Peter Sterling talk about it and, and Brett Kenny. Um, yeah. But yeah, you, that national stadium, I think that plays a big part of it, right? Like that's where the NFL plays, and that's where all big soccer games are, and and all that, and all BBC. So, given that we've talked, we've well, talked about the BBC there a bit. Has Channel Four having uh, mm. some some Super League games on helped the sport, or will help the sport? You reckon? Yeah, massively. Um, already, it's had a boost and lift to the sport in this country. Fantastic. I mean, Channel 4 are doing a really good job with it. So, I mean, Channel, Channel 4, yeah, for people, you know, it's a national broadcast. Like the BBC. I mean, it's not national like the BBC, which is obviously kind of like um, owned by the British people, as it were. But uh, Channel 4, is, it does have advertisements on it and whatnot. But, yeah, it's free to air. So uh, And, yeah, it's, it's already had a massive boost. And it's actually getting good ratings from what I've gathered. Um, the presentation is really good. We've got Adam Hill, who's a, I don't know if you know him, but... Uh, yeah, 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 we do. <laughs> but um, he's, he's fronting it. So he, um, he um, he's he's doing a great job. And it's just, he's given the sport a massive lift, actually. And I don't know what deal the RFL did, because we're obsessed with TV deals in this country. So Rose saying Sky has ripped off the sport with a pain as nothing. I won't be surprised if Channel 4 played very little, if nothing, for it. The rights... Mm. Are, I hope, I, I'm, I'm guessing this some of RFL just said, let's take a, let's go for it. And, and Channel 4's, actually, I mean, this is a really interesting thing about culture in this country because Channel 4's moved up to Leeds. The, the headquarters, it was in London, it's moved up to Leeds a few years ago and then suddenly, all of a sudden, like, oh, actually, maybe we should show this, this sport that they play up here, uh, rugby league. So, and, and it really shows you how rugby league is a little bit away from the sphere of influence in this country. Suddenly, this broadcast has come up north and seen this great sport and it's cheap to, to buy the rights to him mm. and, it, and it's it's massive and and yeah I mean I, I play rugby, I play uh, tag rugby or touch rugby whatever you want to call it but 
a lot of lads who play with uh, rugby union guys who've moved to moved to the north for various reasons, and they won't really watch much rugby league on Sky, but they started watching it on Channel Four. They say, "Yeah, mm. that was a good game the week." Oh yeah, we watched Leeds versus um, Leeds versus it was um, Leeds versus Warrington was the first game shown. And it was a great game, and they, they, a lot of people I know don't really like rugby league, were buzzing about it. So it's it's massive for the sport and. Hope it keeps going, and maybe we can pick up some. More. Maybe they can pick up some more games as well. I think it'll give it'll light a fire in the sky's belly as well. I think because Sky have just been used to having the rights; no one else has been that interested. You know, mm. um, BBC shows a Challenge Cup because it's it has to basically. But Sky's kind of think, oh well, we always have Super League; we don't need to do anything extra. So now we've seen how good it can be. I guess with the Channel Four coverage, maybe the Sky coverage is going to pick up again as well so I'm, I'm still a little annoyed that we can't get that channel 4 coverage in Australia man Any, anyone from Foxtel listening to this podcast <laughs> buy the channel 4 coverage please we, we get the sky we get the BBC but we don't get the channel 4 coverage of the football and it, it's it's made such a splash on um on like the socials I've seen it all over all over Twitter in particular Instagram channel 4 seem to be marketing it great I just want to see what what Adam Hill's doing and, and how they're doing it different to uh to Sky, a little bit of a rant for you there. Um, we've got a World Cup at the end of this year. Uh, we talked a little bit about the 1970 World Cup, uh, where the Great, Brit- Great Britain's only World Cup in the rugby league. Man, English teams make a habit out of drawing in the World Cup final and still getting the trophy, don't they? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, he went just, there. Just a little punch for our Kiwi <laughs> listeners out there. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the World oh. Cup this year, mate, uh, can England win it? Um, maybe, uh, but I mean, my heart, my heart says yes, my head says no. You know, I think mm. there's just, I think you get it with all sports, don't you? And when a team has not won anything for a long time, it's it's on the back. That's just an extra pressure. I mean, the last World Cup final, you know, when it was a really close game, and uh, was it was it 2017? I think. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Six 0 to Australia. Yeah, and you know England played really well in that game, and I think England showed that they've got the capacity, the, the potential mm-hmm. to to match the Aussies and Kiwi teams. Uh, but I think it's just that extra little thing, and um, yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, this country, if, if, if the last World Cup we had here, 2013, it was a bit of a buzz. The country get behind them, and I think I think if they get that, they can. But I think it's always the thing with the English team is England team is is always a gap in the team. There's always somewhere that's just missing that extra bit of quality. And you know, whereas you're, you know, you guys have you've got a lot of depth to pick from. And you know, you, I look at the players you don't pick, and I think they'd they'd be they'd be walking into this England team in that position. So, I mean, yeah, in the forwards, I think we can match anyone. Um, I think, I mean, I, I like I like. I like as half-backs and, and, and outside-backs a lot, but, you know, you've got these big monsters in Australia, and you know, you've got these 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 big, big guys who can play at the wing centre, and we've got some big guys as well. I mean, Ryan Hall, who, I know you didn't do much splashing out. He's quite a big, big guy, but, I mean, he's back in the England team now, and he's in his 30s, you know, he's, he's I won't say he's in his prime, so, um, yeah, I think, it, who, who knows, we'll see, I think, I'd, I'd still say make Aussies, Australia team the big favourites, and then you know you've also got your other, you know, the island Islanders as well now. Mm-hmm. Aren't you? Who are doing well? You know, I think Samoans and Tongans are going to give someone a real and, and PNG as well. You know, 
my, my little uh, my my second team, Papua New Guinea. But um, <laughs> um, they'll they'll give people a good. They give England a good game. You know, <laughs> Papua New Guinea beat England, didn't they? So um, recently, so yeah, we'll see. I think we've got a chance. I, and also, I think France. I mean, if England come against France, I wouldn't say that I would say make France favourites, but they'll give them a. I mean, France are always tough, so especially in, I mean, the, the game where there's got a lot of confidence at the minute. It's really, really bubbling under, so and actually they were they're they're going to host the World Cup out, so I think that they'll be a team to watch out for as well. But I mean, speaking of, I mean, this is just a bit of a tangent as well. But we're talking about international games. I went to see Papua New Guinea versus New Zealand at Headingley mm. in 2013, and it was it was sold out. You know, for two teams that are. And it, it was one of the best atmospheres of a rugby game I've ever seen. And New Zealand were were better. Were better. It was too much quality. I think that they they won it fairly comfortably in the end. But you know, PNG gave them a real good, real physical game. I think David Mead actually, I can't remember it was, but cleaned someone out <laughs> with one of the biggest tackles I've ever seen. So in front of the South Stand, which is a big, big stand in in there, and people were actually loving it. it was. And you know that's a that's another example. I remember that night in Leeds, the whole city was buzzing because this World Cup game on about two teams from halfway across the world. So, um, you know, and that um, and that just shows you this international game. And I, and I think the World Cup this time will be a big deal. Um, the, if if we get the marketing right in this country, and if England do well, there'll be a, there'll be a buzz, and I think you guys will bring over some top talent, which we love to see. So. What about Papua New Guinea? Maybe actually think about the time I saw them alive and they feel like they can get five, six, seven in a tackle sometimes and pushing, <laughs> pushing back. I'll tell you what, if I'm versus, if I'm if I was at that level, I'm t- pulling up a bit sore before I verse Papua New Guinea in a game. Trust me, geez, they always put on a show like they could lose a game 50 to 10 or something like that against Australia, but you go the first 20 minutes, it was as physical as anything. It is, I've yeah. heard the crunches and the tackles, and I'm like thinking, geez, I'm glad I'm on the on the crowd who wants yeah. to be a rugby league I mean, player when you watch property guinea play i want to watch them that's it i'm gonna be out there i mean if i'd like if i was able to write a book again i don't know if i ever will but i'd love to write about the game in papua new guinea i mean yeah. it just fascinates me mm. um i've got my um papua new guinea jersey away to play uh, a bit of t- tag so, um i'd love to go see a bit about the, that side of the world rugby league over there i mean it's fascinating to me but um just here explore the history of it you know we've had some good png players over in this country as well who, you know um who, we had marcus by for leeds who um he he was a really like loved loved kind of player and um <laughs> you know he, he was he's always going to got me interested in the game over there but but i'm interested in the game all over the place right i think um i've never been to Papua League, really, but from what we see being a pretty close neighbour, the best comparison is cricket in India, oh, is God, rugby yes. league in Papua New Guinea. But as your answer suggests there, it's probably the most exciting World Cup for a long time. It's not just Australia and New Zealand with England coming third, uh, which it was for a while there. And uh, the last World Cup, 6-0 England, like ankle tap away from forcing that to golden point. Um, but you're right. Fiji could win it, Tonga could win it, Samoa could do something good, New Zealand could win it, Australia there, and like I just said, England were one try away last time. So should be a good should be a good tournament. Looking forward to it. Yeah, if you want to, if if you if you if you, if you, if you, if you want to come over, you've always got a 
you've always got to place to Spain Leeds. Uh, just <laughs> might not go get a good night's sleep, but I've got two little kids so <laughs> I keep you up. But you know, I'm welcome. You know, I, I think there's some really nice source cities as well. Leeds has got some good games. York, they've, they've been really strategic with the city choices. I think York is a big tourist destination for people all over the world. You know, it's full of Americans and, and Aussies. You know, you got to York. Um, and, you know, maybe people are going to tie it in with doing a bit of sightseeing and, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they, and they, they are going to have some games in the south of England as well, in the capital of London. So I hope that, I hope it's just going to, I hope it's going to be some good games, competitive games. Yeah. Jamaica are playing in Leeds, which is which is good because Leeds has got a big Jamaican heritage, big Jamaican community. That that team's gonna that team's doing a lot of work in the community to get build buzz already. I mean, um, I work in a in a school. They've been in there talking about rugby league. Come come watch us, you know, come and support us. So there's real like there's a lot of grassroots work going on to make sure that people are engaged. The ticket prices are pretty reasonable. Um, yeah, I hope it's. I hope it. I hope the, the, the stuff on the pitch matches what what's going to happen around the game. Um, certainly, and yeah, I, I do think Australia will probably win, but we'll see. I'd I'd love to come over, but I'd love to watch um, on my bucket list. I'd love to go to a whole derby. I'd love to just <laughs> yeah. be in a hole on a day where that's going on because it just it just seems crazy. Anyway. Um, James, we'll give you the final word in a minute, but the book that you wrote a couple of years ago is called True Professional, The Clive Sutherland... I'll start again. True Professional, The Clive Sutherland Story. Uh, I look forward to getting your hands on a copy and having a read of that. Um, it sounds super interesting. Is there anything that we have failed to ask about or talk about that you'd like to throw on on the end of this podcast? Um, no, not really. I think just one thing I'd say to you guys and... I think you guys are probably aware of it, but you know, listeners, but uh, you know, you guys have got such a good competition over there, such a good culture around rugby league. You know, when you're in a part of the world where rugby league can be a bit ignored or overlooked, or it's a bit of an afterthought, you know, I'd just say my comment is you guys have got it good over there and I take advantage of it. You know, I'm not saying the NRL is perfect, but you know, I, if I could, one one thing I'd love to do in my life is go watch an NRL game, just a regular see, you know, regular game. So, you know, um, yeah, I'm 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 in order of the competition over there, and I and I want to get over it. So I guess it, my comment would just be, you know, enjoy it. You know, <laughs> don't take it for granted what you've got over there because it's it's something special, and uh, it's been a real pleasure for me to come on and talk to you guys and and and, and talk about rugby league. You know, talk about talk about it all day, but. I'm sure you and your listeners need to uh, you need to get to sleep and uh, your listeners maybe maybe their drive come up to the end or something. So, uh, but yeah, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. I must say, if you come to a game, James, Bulldogs v South Good Friday is always something happens there, and a Bulldogs versus Parramatta game. It doesn't matter where Bulldogs and Parramatta are on the ladder. Only a few years ago, we were bottom of. Well, I mean, we've been bottom for a while. Uh, we were bottom of the table. Power were finals <laughs> contenders, and were able to scrap a win in the most one of the most. But we dropped like three or four different players out injured and through the game, and we still found a way to win it. It's always something seems to happen when they these teams were. So if you come, we'll get you a beer, and you can sit next to us. <laughs> hey, well, I've had a few invites to come over. My friend, if he listens to it, Mr. Duffy, Mr. Duffy, hello, Mr. Duffy. <laughs> he's, he's told me to, he's going to take me to a Roosters game as well. So. Or a Brisbane game, maybe as well. He's going to give me a bit of a tour. So sounds like I've got a few. Um, and I know if you remember Mark Glanville, he played for Leeds. He was a Newcastle player. 
I've got some. I know him over there as well. He's he said maybe he's catching Newcastle game. So they're pretty good. Sounds like I'm gonna have to get a few free drinks while I'm over there <laughs> at least. <laughs> but yeah, Just, I'd love to. I'd love to. Um, maybe I'll, I'm sure one day it'll happen. So thank you so much. No worries. And before we let you go, mate, can you give us a tip on getting more listeners in the UK? So looking at our looking at our breakdown here, eighty-two percent Australian, eleven percent from the US, two percent the UK. So UK <laughs> listeners, where are you? <laughs> um, well, I'll, I'll be I'll be trying to promote this uh, <laughs> for you, but uh, not that I'm um, I can do much. I think um, I don't know. I think you know British. If you if you can get uh, maybe another a, a British player on potentially I don't know um you might have to help us I, mean, with that I, I know I know a few I could maybe put you in touch with but yeah um I think that'd be I think maybe people might you know pick up on that but um you know I've, I've always thought the Bulldogs had a bit of a following in the UK they seem to be one of the more followed clubs so mm. yeah surprising that uh you haven't got a few more but <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but you know you're doing well anyway you've got the US haven't you, you broke the US market which is more than <laughs> that rugby league could say as a whole so you've, you've made it in the US you know like the Beatles so. <laughs> maybe um, maybe it's got more to do with um, expats in the US or something I'm not sure <laughs> um, yeah now a bit of a joke to end on but thanks for coming on um, we enjoy speaking to people anybody about rugby league really we do it all day every day if we could so it's been a pleasure for us for you to come on as well so thanks for your time this evening so in Australia and this morning in Leeds. Thank you so much. Thank you.